Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Ku Klux Klan from 1915 to 24. This is the period that's generally thought of as being the kind of the second era of the Ku Klux Klan. The first is during the restoration period in the 1860s and 1870s after the end of the Civil War and the second period of the Ku Klux Klan is really motivated by quite different um, racial tensions in America. If we turn our attention to the first period, the first period of um, the Ku Klux Klan after the end of the Civil War is relatively easy to explain. The imposition of um, the Union Army uh, on the South, um, the uh, liberation of, of the slaves and the emancipation of the slaves and the um, emergence in the South of um, a society under under reconstruction um, where the um, rights, voting rights, of uh, blacks were uh, upheld by a presidential decree, um, particularly uh, President Grant. Um, This leads to an an embattled, fearful and um, threatened um, southern white, uh, in certain parts of the South, minority um, who look upon the um, emergence of a free black population as a catastrophe. The um, emergence of the Ku Klux Klan as a terrible organisation um, is partly um, the result of the kind of the withdrawal of the uh, Northern armies gradually. Um, and uh, Northern administration, and the kind of the collapse really of the Reconstruction uh, project in the South, and the re-establishment um, of uh, the of, of white rule. By the time you get to the um, uh, late eighteen seventies and the uh, introduction of Jim Crow laws, there's less of a need for violent terror actions to uh, oppress the. Uh, southern blacks because you have the state legislatures able to do this so by the 1880s and 1890s whilst there is still um, segregation well there is still um, intense oppression of 
black Americans in the Deep South. It doesn't mean need to be done in a paramilitary style because you have uh, federal uh, state governments um, have the the power to do it once again, and it's the South is becomes once again the the place where the federal government ideally doesn't want to go meddling and stirring up various hornets' nests. From 1915 to 1924 is a slightly different story because it features not just the South but the emergence of the Ku Klux Klan as a national force. And what is what possibly can explain this? Well, it is a um, a product really of two things. It's a product of the First World War and a product of the economic crises that follow it. During the First World War, um, there is a decline in the flow of southern and eastern European um, white, uh, impoverished, um, emigre peasant populations into um, the United States via New York, Boston, Philadelphia and the eastern seaports. So the uh, amount of available um, uh, cheap factory labour decreases. The uh, This is um, partly due to uh, the impassibility of, of the Atlantic during wartime, um, the wartime era and to an increased um, isolationism from the American government and a, a fear of the kind of trouble that Europeans might bring to American shores. There's always a, a kind of a great concern about the dangers of revolution and who might be coming in from um, Eastern Europe with uh, all sorts of uh, frightening new ideas. The FBI believed it was their role, particularly in this period, to um, keep an eye on such troublemakers. So as um, the uh, level of orders during the war in uh, factories in the north dramatically begins to increase, the obvious choice for your cheap laws, cheap labour force are southern blacks um, who would be quite keen to escape a life of um, rural penury and racial discrimination in the south. When men become enlisted um, in the US Army, when large numbers of, um, particular, of particularly white men, not to say that black soldiers didn't fight in France during the First World War, um, you know, I've talked at length about the uh, book uh, Black Bolshevik by Harry Haywood, which has his accounts as a doughboy in France. Um, But when white soldiers go to fight, leaving open factory jobs, um, there is an influx of black labour into previously white jobs in the north. Um, And there is, I think I've talked about the, um, the Red Summer, of 1919 there was a huge upsurge in violence against black Americans from uh, particularly from returning soldiers who find this rather frightening uh, racial uh, reordering of the labor market has occurred while they've been away but i think something else is going on as well if you could just simply put it down to that then the fact that the Ku Klux Klan had begun to dramatically develop from 1915 onwards wouldn't make much sense because you're waiting, you have to wait two full years for America to become fully engaged in the war. 
Um, there seems to be uh, some reason for this kind of upsurge in racial tensions across America for about 1915 onwards, and they come largely from rural communities. And so there is possibly something at play with the anxieties of uh, of farming folk uh, during the war and during the war years. And I suspect it's got something to do with farm prices. Despite a huge increase in ag- agricultural output and agricultural exports during the war, farm prices for much of the war era and profits by farms still lag behind this massive surge in output. And after the end of the war, you get America and really the rest of the world hit by a deflationary crisis. The war has seen this explosion in inflation. And after the war, there is a slump in farm prices. So much of the um, appeal of the Ku Klux Klan perhaps comes from the economic insecurities of uh, rural communities, white rural communities in America, and the fear at the same time that they are being uh, subject to um, competition from other ethnic minorities. I know it's a kind of a... um, kind of quite a radical left critique of American history that um, the relation, that class relations and economic relations are always complicated by race and ethnicity. But I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this is actually quite valid. This is the Howard Zinn view of things um, does seem to be, in this instance, um, quite quite valid and the um, threatened um, ethnic minorities or ethnic majorities in point of fact who look upon the challenge to their position from groups like African Americans um, react with extreme violence and this perhaps explains why the Ku Klux Klan become a national movement far beyond the confines of the South at the end of the First World War. During the Red Summer of 1919, the FBI uh, is far less interested in arresting uh, racist murderers and people engaged in lynchings than they are in the hunt for subversives. During the uh, 1919 and 1920, you have a Red Scare in America where the uh, Attorney General Mitchell Palmer um, believes that the country is under threat from um, subversion and J. Edgar Hoover and the uh, rising star, various rising stars of the um, the FBI, who are of that persuasion, tend to concur. And so the the focus um, of um, at the time was never on the organised violence of the the Ku Klux Klan, yeah, even though um, in terms of the threat to um, the well being of many American citizens. Um, was far more obvious and pronounced than anything that could be suggested um, about foreign subversion. The Ku Klux Klan uh, by the 1920s is a far more um, uh, broad-based bundle of prejudices. It's not simply just the suppression of um, of blacks in the South that uh, occupies their thinking. They view themselves as a Protestant, anti-Catholic, anti-Masonic, uh, anti-immigrant 
uh, and anti-black organisation, and they view the um, they view things in the terms of every um, kind of uh, significant group of of um, uh, white racists tends to and probably not just limited to white racists either, but they view themselves as really kind of so in, interpret themselves as an oppressed minority, as the really embattled um, culture that is facing uh, annihilation, which obviously this is total nonsense. But even though things are kind of unjustifiable and unsustainable, it doesn't stop people from believing them. And the fact is, the interesting factor as historians is the fact that people did have this sense of anxiety about their status and position at the end of the First World War. And it shows us the extent to which the First World War had really thrown um, countless certainties, even in America, which had been almost completely unaffected by the war. There's count, you know, these... these um, the economics of war, um, the global economics of war, had thrown the, the, the all these certainties for Americans um, to the wind, um, and a, a multi-ethnic society was uh, facing crisis as a result. The second clan seems to be far better organised than the first. It has a membership of four million by 1924 so having reached its uh, its absolute height it has a complex network of nationwide um, uh, organizations and branches but as with all organizations uh, that explode out of nowhere on hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Waves of popular discontent. It's riven with internecine factions and infighting uh, and never becomes the, the, the serious threat to American liberal democracy that it might otherwise have been. But that's not to underestimate its influence in the early 1920s. It initiates its members in mass torchlight rallies with thousands and thousands 
of new recruits being um, brought into the movement uh, in, in huge initiation uh, rituals um, in certain parts of America, and particularly in the South, uh, there is a, a virtual ethnic cleansing of black Americans who are forced to flee neighbourhoods or who are killed. And certain cities which had had large black populations become um, whitened uh, by the mid-1920s. Uh, Florida is a, um, a uh, particular a particular example where there are several cities that have um, this this process of ethnic cleansing and um, it's it's fascinating isn't it to think that in the 1920s when you know ethnic cleansing and mass movements of populations are happening in Europe um, and between what is left of the Ottoman Empire, say for example, and Greece, or movements of people following the divisions uh, of the uh, the new um, map uh, making exercises that happened at the Treaty of Versailles. Similar things, perhaps on not quite the same scale, are actually happening in America. Um, these sort of upheavals are forcing um, black populations to flee from this resurgent white uh, nationalist uh, kind of proto-fascist movement. And the implications for American democracy are um, also affected by the fact that in 1923 in Texas, Alabama and Indiana, um, senators are returned with um, large majorities all of whom are clan members. And the uh, in southern Illinois, there's a virtual civil war between rival factions of the Ku Klux Klan. And in other states, the influence of the Ku Klux Klan on the judiciary, the police, um, local and federal government structures is overwhelming. So there are almost, particularly Oregon, for example, is almost a clan-run state by the uh, early 1920s. The processes, the economic processes of inflation and deflation that happened during the First World War and its aftermath affect American farmers to the extent that um, they never really recover. American farm prices um, never um, really recover. They are aided by subsidies for the rest of the 20th century. Um, and part of the reason for this is that um, the the war has encouraged massive overproduction of farm produce um, because Europe is unable to feed itself. Large sections of large arable lands such as uh, northern France and Belgium are wiped out by German occupation. And also um, various European populations have to uh, undergo the privations of war, have to allocate their foodstuffs to their armed forces and their young men and horses are sent off, off to fight. So it's a, a great opportunity for American farmers to uh, overproduce. But again, this um, overproduction cripples American farm prices, leading to um, the uh, kind of a, a, a forerunner of the Great Depression. Um, the Great Depression from, um, in the 1930s for American farmers really um, seems to be kind of almost undistinguishable from the rest of their experience in the 1920s. There is, for them, very little let-up in the kind of the jazz age of the 20s where people appear to be having all sorts of fun. I don't think ever really materialises in a great deal of farms in, in the, the Midwest. Um, 
the the result of all this is that the government, um, always mindful um, of the uh, fear of um, mass populist movements, demagogues arising, and dangerous radical ideas, um, have uh, all sorts of efforts under Roosevelt's New Deal um, from 1933 onwards to um, underwrite farm prices, particularly with the Agricultural Adjustment Agency. And part of this really is the preservation of of American democracy. Roosevelt knew full well that unless something was done, unless there was some kind of initiative to stabilise the American economy, then an economic crisis would transform itself into a political crisis. Now, it goes without saying that a key figure um, in galvanising support for the Ku Klux Klan, while he professed this was unintentional, I suspect otherwise, was the filmmaker D.W. Griffith. In 1915, D.W. Griffith uh, created really the the first feature film. It was uh, technically ahead of its time, um, but it depicted the Ku Klux Klan. um, This was Birth of a Nation, I beg your pardon depicted the Ku Klux Klan as heroic rescuers of American values. Um, And um, when D.W. Griffith created it, it was extremely popular, despite its overtly racist message. Um, It was in the same year that the Klan reforms in Atlanta and Georgia, um, and obviously focusing on this far wider, um, wider set of goals. In 1917, the Manifesto of the Klan summed it up as being um, summed up the purpose, the mission statement of the clan as being to shield the sanctity of the home and the chastity of womanhood, to maintain white supremacy, to teach and faithfully inculcate a high spiritual philosophy through an exalted ritualism, and by practical devotedness to conserve, protect and maintain the distinctive institutions, rights, privileges, principles and ideals of pure Americanism. So it was about protecting the notion of, of white culture, this particularly uh, notion of the protecting the chastity of womanhood conjures up all sorts of um, repressed notions of the, the, the fear of being of uh, kind of uh, raci- racial mixing and miscegenation um, and the um, fear that um, that uh, white women may uh, have relationships with black men, and that there may be some, there may be kind of uh, a, a threat to uh, the continuation of the white race. Of course, this is in the era or the heyday of eugenics, where even in uh, the United Kingdom, supposedly uh, in intellectual circles such as the Bloomsbury Group, the likes of T. S. Eliot and Virginia Woolf, um, have more than a flirtation with eugenics, the kind of sort of Marie Stopes eugenics of uh, having the working classes spayed in essence to prevent them from outbreeding um, the middle classes who've uh, been uh, annihilated during the First World War. They, the Ku Klux Klan were very keen on prohibition and partly for that is that there's a racial element of prohibition. Um, the, uh, they believe that uh, prohibition should be rigorously enforced um, partly because Irish, Polish, Italian and Jewish gangsters seem to dominate the alcohol trade 
Um, there's some very interesting, if you watch the excellent HBO series Boardwalk Empire, there are some very interesting tensions between various prohibition, uh, various um, uh, alcohol racketeering uh, gangs and the Ku Klux Klan. Um, this is um, in Atlantic City uh, during the 1920s. The extent to which that is um, absolutely verifiably true, I'm not sure. But there is, I believe, a book uh, to go with the series written all about Atlantic City during the time. So the new wizard of the Ku Klux Klan was William J. Simmons, who declared himself the imperial wizard and found lots of new followers, not just in the south, but also in the north. Um, the There was a... Um, a renewed focus after 1919 that uh, non uh, that um, non Anglo-Saxon Europeans, Poles, Greeks, Italians, Yugoslavs, and Jews um, might provide American factories once again with the kind of cheap labour that they've been providing in the 1910s. And the um, United States House Committee on Rules calls Simmons to testify in 1921. And this shows that despite the growing influence of the Klan and its growing politi- political influence and its mass membership, um, the US government in itself wasn't completely blind to the, the threats it presented. The um, high point of uh, the Klan's notoriety was when um, Hiram Wesley Evans, the uh, imperial wizard who takes over um, after Simmons, uh, becomes the Time magazine um, pin-up of the year um, in 1924. Bear in mind, obviously, in 1933, their man of the year is Adolf Hitler. In 1926, the Klan is able to parade 30,000 men through Washington, D.C., um, but this trial of show of strength is kind of illusory. Um, it happens at right at the very point when membership is starting to dwindle, as the um, the mid twenties economy starts to pick up, and things start to become less difficult um, for a great many Americans. Um, the um, membership, the, the, the importance of, of membership becomes um, declines. And also there are, the, the organisation is rocked with scandal. Um, there is a high-profile uh, murder trial of one of the Klan's senior members, and this is the murder of a white woman, um, and it's a, a sexual crime. So um, the murder, obviously, or lynching of uh, blacks in the South, which was happening at the rate of about 100 a year, um, that's obviously not an issue. But when a, a white woman is killed by a Klansman, it becomes a major controversy. Um, and the problem that the Klan has as well is that it's, it's this federation of small chapters, each with its own set of uh, localised bigotries and internecine feuds and agendas and objectives. So there is a, um, a, a kind of a fragmentation, which leads by the end of the 1920s to the movement having declined from um, 4 million to a few tens of thousands. Anyway, I hope you found this useful and pleased to announce that we're just coming to the end of um, the... Uh, 
proofreading and uh, editing of Tyrell Eskelson's brilliant new uh, addition to the Explaining History series, The American Century. So if you enjoy, enjoyed Chris Kostov's The Communist Century, if you enjoyed Julia Routledge's The Genocidal Century, Tyrell's new book is going to be out hopefully between now and Christmas and that should be a brilliant addition to the Century series. So I hope you can check that out soon. Thanks very much and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.